Hi, and welcome to a new weekly bonus episode of Chart of Fortune, the pop culture astrology podcast where I look at the birth charts of the moments and things that made pop culture. I'm your host, Elise Blaylock, and this week I'm kicking off a special mini season of podcasts I'm calling Summer Fridays. You know Summer Fridays, the American urban legend that sometimes on Fridays in the summer, you can leave early from work. Now, I am not currently living out this urban legend because I don't have a job where I can, in fact, sprint from my cubicle, aka my home, into the arms of a summer afternoon. So in the spirit, in the spirit of ditching work and grabbing a frappuccino or like an Aperol spritz before the clock strikes five, I am recapping the short-lived MTV show Rich Girls. It's a one-season series about best friends and socialite-adjacent New York high school grads Jamie Gleischer and Allie Hilfiger during the summer after high school. Because if you and I can't go anywhere for summer vacation, why not do the next best thing and watch unaware rich 18-year-olds go on vacation after vacation after vacation? That question, of course, what would be better? It's rhetorical, dear listener. Now, if you haven't seen the show Rich Girls, you can find every episode on YouTube and follow along. Or if you're an elder or geriatric millennial, you can just listen in and have those repressed memories of the show flood back into your mind's eye, like the good old days of waking up still drunk and trying to piece together the previous night's activities. You know, that heady mix of recalling happy moments, followed by dread and shock and and a little bit of nausea. That feeling. You need to know next to nothing about the rich girls themselves, but it's critical that you understand that rich girls was filmed in some of the earliest days of reality TV, especially reality TV on MTV. Its filming schedule was May through September 2003, and this meant that holy grail shows, holy grail shows to this podcast, like Laguna Beach, Jersey Shore, were simply a twinkle in Viacom's eye. This show, Rich Girls, is part of the wave of the successful reality programs for MTV that started with the Osbournes and Newlyweds, both of which will air the same year that Rich Girls does. And I feel like the Osbournes and Newlyweds, because they got more seasons, have really eclipsed Rich Girls in the pop culture landscape. And at the time, the reality show landscape consisted mostly of shows that revolved around contestants for prizes like Fear Factor or social experiment shows like The Real World. If you think that Rich Girls is a deep cut when it comes to reality television, then I want you to truly take a beat to be thankful that I opted to pass on covering the short-lived shows like The Andy Dick Show and Kathy Griffin's show, Kathy's So-Called Reality, which also aired on MTV prior to Rich Girls. Now, don't at me. The show you liked with Kathy Kathy Griffin that was a reality show, it was on Bravo, and it was called My Life on the D-List. You can thank me in advance. The idea, however, that we would film people living their lives, not like home videos that one day, the ones that I have that were lovingly restored from VHS to DVD and that I'll use for an Etro Hollywood story, we didn't have shows like that, uh, home videos or people living their lives as a television program. But this show and the others I've mentioned was paving the way for everything Andy Cohen will ever touch. Rich Girls is a poorly edited mix of Gossip Girl, Laguna Beach, and The Rich Kids of Beverly Hills. 
Unlike the mystery of Gossip Girl's identity, this show's plot lacks a realistic edge and a sense of purpose. But for the sake of astrology and context, I will give you a little more information on our two plucky stars, the Laverne and Shirley of the New York prep school set, Jamie Gleischer, who was born on January 17, 1985, making her a Capricorn, and she's an heiress to her father's successful luggage business. Allie Hilfiger was born on February 26, 1985, making her a Pisces. And of course, she is the daughter of American fashion designer Tommy Hilfiger. Now, given the amount of Tommy Hilfiger products I rocked from approximately 1999 to 2005, I like to think that I may have contributed to Allie's sizable inheritance. Allie and Jamie met during their sophomore year at the Professional School for Children in Lower Manhattan, which, as the name suggests, is for children who are in show business. Charming. I'll go into the origin story of how Rich Girls came to be on a later episode, but the girls signed on to the MTV show thinking that they would produce a documentary about their lives and friends, and then use the project as an extracurricular to help with college admissions. But long story short, none of their friends, or frankly the parents of those friends, agreed to sign a waiver for filming and the task of letting the world into their upscale, cosmopolitan existence with nary a reasonable adult in sight fell on Jamie and Allie's kitten-heeled feet. They agreed to film their lives for six weeks a day for about six months on the condition that they would have producer credits and editing rights. Our first episode of Rich Girls aired on October 28, 2003, and it details the senior prom, which occurred in late May 2003. We find our plucky protagonists at odds over going to prom. Jamie has organized the limo and the dance itself, and Allie admits she hates prom and doesn't know why they have to go, but has agreed to support Jamie. We meet Jamie in a pink polo shirt, smoking outside, trying to plan prom with a composition notebook in hand, while trying to get a group of friends to all pay for a limo. Jamie lets the audience know that she is still a virgin at 18, and like every high school trope, she wants to have sex for the first time on prom night. Her boyfriend of three weeks, Craig, seems shocked to learn that the relationship is moving this quickly. It's revealed that Jamie, like any good Capricorn, did try to schedule the sauté rendezvous with Craig the night before prom, but he rebuffed her advances. God help a woman and her Blackberry calendar scorned. Also moving quickly is the time left to find a dress for prom. So Billy, Allie's uncle, takes a break from his clothing line and music and instead helps the ladies scour an exclusive vintage store. While podcasts fail to be a visual medium, I need you to know that this music fashion montage is eclipsed by the fact that their uncle looks like a cross between Zoolander and Jim Jones, with what can only be described as a misguided Elvis impersonator hairstyle but I digress. They try on coats, bags, and like the crazy little Pisces she is, Allie wants to wear a spacesuit to the dance. It's here that we have our first, what I'm calling an Allie and Jamie aphorism, i.e. a newlywed-esque moment where their lack of awareness is revealed. Here we learn that Allie doesn't know who Barbarella or Jane Fonda is, but the girl does know hair care, I guess, when she freely admits that she didn't wash her hair for three weeks after coming home from Mystique. And honestly, if you were on a yacht belonging to the Onassis family, maybe you'd want to keep every last grain of sand in your widow's peak to relive the fun. This is also the woman who said that getting a bikini wax was like giving birth, meaning that Allie Hilfiger knows about as much as beauty and hygiene as Mark Zuckerberg knows about being likable. So, not much. But the standout, ridiculous aphorism of this show, the Allie and Jamie 
moment that I cannot unsee, takes place in a restaurant called Bread with Uncle Billy when Allie admits in a proto-Gretchen Wieners moment that her father invented cargo pants and everyone has been copying him since. Now, I hate to be that fact-finding, petty, Gemini bitch, but you know who's speaking. So I'll let you know that Tommy Hilfiger did not, in fact, invent cargo pants, and that the pants style was originally part of British military garb beginning in the 1830s. It's now, of course, a perfect trend for suburban dads. But this moment is eclipsed in uncomfortability by Allie kissing her uncle on the mouth. Now, it's here that I should admit that I've gone to too many years of Catholic school and am frankly too waspy to not be unsettled by that sight. On a follow-up shopping trip to Saks, we find Allie and Jamie without dresses, but we, the audience, have found something better, a sore spot in the Hilfiger legacy, which is that Tommy Hilfiger has a one-sided rivalry with Ralph Lauren. Put a pin in that, friends. We will come back to that later. It's only after a trip to the now-defunct Henry Bendel that Jamie finds a leopard dress for the big event, and presumably sometime Allie somehow found a strapless black dress along the way. We then cut to Frederick Fakai's salon, where the makeup and pampering is in full swing. Jamie is still panicking that she's just walking around as a virgin all over Midtown, and everyone, including a rabbit in a canvas tote several seats away, knows about it. Allie, trying to be a good friend, suggests that Jamie should tap her third eye 21 times, which will relax her vagina and her mind, and Zoya, the nail technician, agrees. Jamie takes a brief moment away from panicking about societal expectations to help her star dog star, the Bichon, use the potty pad in the handicapped restroom, and to ignore Allie's incessant questioning of whether there will be chips and dip while getting ready at Jamie's mom's apartment. Once home at Jamie's mom's apartment, Chip and Dip seemingly forgotten or perhaps consumed, the dresses are on and the friends are arriving. Jamie is giving us a moment in a ruched leopard print dress compared or paired with a pink sparkly flower in her hair and a gigantic rhinestone peace sign necklace. And I, for one, appreciate Jamie's commitment to maximalism. It reflects the consumerism of the moment and the eternal worlds of Luanne de la Sepp that money can't buy you class, but it can buy the entire inventory of hair accessories at the icing, bitch. She exclaims that she's going to lose her virginity in this dress. Her mother uses this moment not to be sex positive or remind Jamie to practice safe sex, but instead realizes that she doesn't know when she had sex for the first time, only remembering that involved a moving car. Thanks, Mom. We're introduced to Craig, Jamie's boyfriend, who is dressed like a manager at Circuit City. And we're also introduced to the bad boy of the group, a shaggy-haired, blonde, Brian Phillippe, cruel intentions type looking man known simply as Michael H., We learn from Allie that Jamie has a very obvious crush on this cad, which he uses as an opportunity to make out with their mutual friend, Julia. Looking like a proto-Tarita Jujitsu, Judice, Real Housewives of New Jersey, in her ruched cheetah dress, large black sunglasses, while guzzling white wine and smoking, Jamie remains calm and collected as the group departs for the dance in the limo that she and Allie begrudgingly paid for. But don't be sad for Jamie, because she dodged a bullet. It's clear to us later that Michael is a conservative douchebag, and I have suspicions he might have voted for Trump. In the limo, we hear him claim that Bloomberg is simply not Republican enough for him. Yikes. 
Before we arrive at prom, I'm going to take a quick tangent and mention the astrological weather happening in May of 2003. At this time, in late May, Uranus is in the early degrees of Pisces, and that is forming a square to both Jamie and Allie's natal Chiron placement. As we know from previous episodes, Chiron is the planet of our inherited trauma and a karmic wound that we need to heal throughout our life. It's a destiny point for us. Jamie and Allie both have Chiron in Gemini and Uranus in 2003 is in Pisces, thus the square. This square is asking them to change or that they need to do something different from the way they've been behaving, especially with larger themes in their life. And the role of Uranus in this transit, because it could be, you know, a square to any planet, but Uranus specifically is about moving past those childhood or personal limitations that we have either set on ourselves or that have been set upon us. This can be a time, if you are going through this transit, of great transformation and times where intuition is really strong for you. And spoiler alert, this will be that for these ladies. While this transit could signal a healing of that wound, that that scab is starting to form and, and change is happening, we will soon learn that this show will exacerbate the very real issues that Jamie and Allie are experiencing. And ultimately, this show is a catalyst for them to both face health and personal issues they have not been effectively able to treat before. Back to prom. The ladies dance the night away and Jamie remains hopeful that she and Craig will make sweet, sweet love in the limo or the after party or somewhere. But like so many well-laid plans, pun intended, there are obstacles. After losing the limo to some dalliance that's never explained from Michael H., Allie, Jamie, an unidentified female friend, and Craig drive into the dark night. But Craig looks more and more red-faced as the limo snakes through Manhattan. He admits to having drank too many cups of coffee, about five, and ends up vomiting outside the limo. The unidentified friend, snugly wrapped in a camel-colored pashmina, confirms the coffee story. The ladies drop Craig off, and Allie lovingly takes his call to assure him that everyone has been sick before, and it's no big deal. Jamie, in her pink pashmina, giant peace size swaying on her neck, is not assured, and she glowers like an angry Kathy and Jimmy the entire ride home. Craig ends up texting Jamie the next day, but while smoking and drinking coffee in bed, a froggy voice Jamie tells Allie and the audience what we might already know, that it's cliche and kind of odd to want to have sex for the first time on prom night. Allie, as only a hungover Pisces can, assures Jamie that everything happens, or in this case doesn't happen, for a reason. Join me next week as we see Allie and Jamie graduate high school, discuss salmon and Ethiopia, and we'll spend more time with Uncle Billy. And whether or not that's a content warning or a promise of good things yet to come is simply up to you. And of course, it will be more Allie and Jamie aphorisms and more astrological transits to explore. Thank you for listening to Chart of Fortune. If you liked this episode, please subscribe or follow wherever you listen to podcasts and considering leaving a rating and review. It helps other listeners find the show and relive the magic and terrible fashion of the early 2000s. Until next time, I love you. Bye.